Good morning. James chapter 2. The book of James chapter 2. We'll be talking about people who say things about themselves who also profess to have faith in Christ. And while we go through a little short review, I want you to think about what you say about your life, about you as a Christian. And I want you to think about the life that you live if it matches what you say. But first, we're going to look at the beginning of James chapter 2. You remember last time we asked ourselves the question, it's been a few weeks, we asked ourselves the questions, are we respecters of persons as a church? And James gives a very good example of that, easy to understand. But look at verse 1. We'll just read verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He gives a very easy explanation so that we might understand if we are respecters of persons. And the example that he gives is in a church, in a gathering. He says that there come into your gathering, into your church, a rich man, and you prefer him, and everybody gravitates toward the rich person, and a poor man comes in simultaneously, and you despise the poor man, or you ignore the poor man. The good man is dressed well. The poor man is dressed in shabby clothes. So if we gravitate towards those because of what they appear to be, because of their wealth, because of their status, because of who they are, and we stay away from persons for the same reasons, or because they're poor, or because they're not perhaps dressed very well, or perhaps because of how they look, then we're respecters of persons if we, if we discriminate. If we stay away from some and we gravitate toward others. And so James teaches us that this attitude must never coexist in the people of God. We should never prefer certain persons either in the church or in the world, brethren. We should never accept and prefer some while we discriminate and despise others. Listen, there were no doubt some problems in the churches in James's day. That's why I believe he writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there were problems then, and those thoughts enter into our minds, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. We cite, she wants to preach. We cite, we cite discriminate. But that's not how God does. Remember what God said to Samuel when God was sending up another king to rule in Israel? Don't look at his countenance, don't look at his stature, that he's big and beautiful. For God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. And beloved, that's what we need to be. We need to give everyone that comes into our assembly the same dignity and respect, no matter what they appear to be, no matter who they are, no matter whether they have riches or not, no matter how they're dressed. This was a problem in this first century because James in chapter 2 and verse 6 says, but you have despised the poor. And so it was a problem there. He teaches us if you're a Christian and you're a child of the king, you are therefore called to obey the royal law, the king's command. And listen, if we love the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. The king's command is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Who is your neighbor? Whoever's next to you. It's not the person that lives 
in the address next to yours only. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves without any distinctions, any discrimination, any partiality, whether rich or poor. And listen, we need to examine ourselves because if, if remember, faith in Christ and being a respecter of persons must not coexist in the Christian's life. That must not be you and I. But if your judgment is sinfully biased, and listen, we can be, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen and we don't struggle with this. If you're normal, you've struggled with this. If your judgment is sinfully biased and you gravitate towards some types of people and you despise others, well, then you need to repent of that. And if you do do that, and you continue to do that, you're a respecter of persons. That hurts the testimony of Christ. Think of how Christ appeared among the religious elite of his day. He was despised because of who he was, who he appeared to be. He was the son of a carpenter. So, supposed the son of a carpenter. So once again, James is discovering true and genuine faith in God's people and in doing so to uncover faith that is not real and genuine I think that's what James that's kind of the centerpiece of James's letter to discover true and genuine faith in God's people and to uncover a faith that is not real and that will be the subject for today Listen, there's not a one of us who hasn't fallen into this sin of being a respecter of persons. But if you're a child of the king, if the spirit of Christ is in you, you cannot and will not continue in this sin. You will grow and mature. You will see that every human was created in the image and likeness of God. And any, every human is equally as fallen, whether rich or poor. Just because somebody's cleaned up and looks nice doesn't mean they're any less of a sinner than a poor man that's not dressed nice. And so, beloved, that must be our hearts as children of God. If it's not, we hurt the testimony of Christ. God's people in the churches of Christ will not despise a poor man because he is poor, nor will God's churches treat a rich man better because he is rich. But we will... Love both equally. Now we ended our study in verse 13. You can look at it there, James 2.13. James writes here, For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Let's seek the presence of God. Let's ask God's help. Father, please help us, Lord. Oh God, may this be spiritual participation for every soul that's here, Father. I pray that we are here to learn more of Christ. I pray that we are here to be more conformed to the image of Christ. I pray that we are here because we don't want to be conformed to the world, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives as Christians. I pray for those that are lost, O oh God, that you would call them into the kingdom of Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would believe in the crucified and risen Christ today, O oh God. May it be so that now and today is the day of their salvation. O oh God, we know that many seek to put off the business of their souls but we know that tomorrow's repentance oftentimes never comes. Help us, Heavenly Father, to know that this moment in time is the most important moment for each one of us. Help us. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for so often failing. But thank you for your grace and your kindness and your love to us. Speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. <clears throat>
there's something that should coexist with your faith. Mercy, compassion, pity, caring, love for your neighbor. This passage is a grave warning to the unmerciful. To those who show no compassion, who show no pity to those that are in need. Like the rich man who ignored Lazarus in the book of Luke. Lazarus, the poor man, was well within his reach. He was right there in front of the rich man's house, laid at his gate. He could have helped him. He could have had compassion upon him. But he did nothing to help him. We know that the first thing that the rich man cried out for in hell was mercy. But our passage comes to pass. He shall have judgment without mercy. Judgment without mercy means judgment that has not a bit of compassion mixed with it. It's complete judgment. And that's what this man had. That's what Christ had when he died on the cross for our sins. He had judgment without mercy. He drank the dregs of the wrath of Almighty God down to the bottom. There was no mercy in the judgment that Christ experienced in our place. This warning is to the cruel and unmerciful. But that must never be you and I, child of God. I pray that you would examine your own heart today and ask yourself, am I a merciful Christian? Those two terms should coexist. We should be compassionate people. We should be the most compassionate people on the planet. Now listen, I know that you can't help everyone, but you should do what you can. We should do what we can. As the believing people of God, we should be caring we should be merciful. We must never shut up our bowels of compassion from helping poor and needy people. From helping strangers that God places in our paths who need our help and whom we can help. The Beatitudes, one of them. The Beatitudes are characteristics Qualities that should be in every one of us as children of God. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. That should be you and I. You should be merciful. Full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so again, James says, show me your faith by how merciful and compassionate you are to those in need. Show me your faith by that. James means to discover true faith in Christ, the Lord of glory, in us, in our lives. Now as we pick up in verse 14, James teaches us about a faith, quote, a faith that has nothing to show. A faith that has nothing to show. A faith that testifies of nothing. And a faith that does nothing. Is that the faith that we have? Let's read. Follow with me. Verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren? He's talking to Christians. What value is there? Though a man say. Remember at the beginning we said we say a lot of things. Sometimes we talk about ourselves a lot. Think about this next week, how often you talk about yourself, and then ask yourself this question, are you what you say you are? Because we're very good at commending ourselves. This man says he has faith, but no accompanying works. See, what does it profit? My brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say, so we're saying again, you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, 
What doth it profit? Or let me say it like this. What good is your faith if you do that? If your faith is only verbal? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Hmm. Dead faith. Yea, a man may say, there it is saying again, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. James says, show me thy faith without thy works. Tell me how you do that. Show me thy faith without thy works. James says, I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. We'll get back to that. But wilt thou know, O vain man? It's like saying, wilt thou know, O faithless man? That faith without works is dead. We're going to stop there. We're going to leave Abraham for next week because that's a whole nother subject. It's not really a whole nother subject, but it's a but we have to go much further. So the question what good is your faith if it if it produce, produces nothing in your life? Well, it's useless. It's worthless. At the outset, James speaks of those who say they have faith. But they do nothing. There are no accompanying good works. There's not a shred of evidence coming from their lives that show that they do have true and genuine faith in Christ. Look at Matthew 5.13. Easy to understand, I think. Matthew 5.13, you know this passage. If you're a Christian, you are to be salt and light. The salt of the earth, the light of the world. You know as well as I do, we put salt on food to stimulate the taste. Salt is stimulating. It gives it savor. My wife puts too much salt on her french fries. She just goes, I tell her that's too much salt. You Christians are the salt of the earth. You're to be salty salt. That's the bottom line of what Jesus teaches here. He teaches about salt that loses its savor. I've never really experienced, have you ever shaken salt out and it, it wasn't salty? It's never happened to me. You have, yeah? I mean, Jesus, and what would you do? Go to the trash and throw it out. It's good for nothing. Well, Jesus said you are to be salty salt. Your faith in Christ is to stimulate the minds of others. We've used this example. When you eat something really salty, what does it do to you? When, like, it does this when I eat pizza. Pizza is salty. I, I shouldn't eat pizza. But when you eat pizza, it's salty. So what does salty food do to you when you eat fried food? Makes you thirsty. Your life is to make others thirsty. You're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world, he says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So your faith should not be hidden. And he says there, let your light so shine among men that they may see your what? Good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. But what is this faith that James is teaching us about? Is it genuine and real? In other words, is what James teaching us, is that genuine and real faith? No, it's not. It's pretended faith. It's counterfeit faith. It's not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as he says in the beginning of this chapter. It's not that faith. It's not the faith of God's elect people. It's not that faith. It's an empty profession. It's a faith that is only verbalized 
we say we have faith. It's a faith that's only verbalized but never lived. It's a faith that produces nothing. It's a faith that produces nothing. Now, in the end of verse 14, I know you saw those words. Can faith save him? Can faith save him? I think what James is saying here is, can this kind of faith save him? Or is this true and genuine saving faith? Is that true and genuine saving faith? Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it, your faith, your salvation is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. James is not contradicting the biblical truth that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. He's not contradicting the doctrine of Paul, the doctrine of Christ. He is not teaching us that we are justified by works. What he is teaching us is that genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will produce good fruit and good works in the lives of those that have it. It's going to come forth. If the love of Christ is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to you, out of your belly, out of your life shall flow rivers of living waters. That's going to come out. That's not going to stay all pent up. It's not going to be a light under a bushel. It's not going to be unsavory salt. If we have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to come out. Listen, we are indeed saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. But the faith that James is describing for us here is not saving faith. Because there is no fruit, there is no accompanying works in them that have it. And worse than that, Three times in chapter 2, James calls that kind of faith dead faith. The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has given you is not dead faith. This is not saving faith. In fact, back to James 2.19, James says the devils believe and tremble. They have that kind of faith. In fact, they believe and tremble. How many Christians say they believe, or I say professing Christians, or even real Christians, do we tremble at the presence of God? Do you remember what the devils did when Jesus actually spoke with them? You remember what they said? Are you come, you're the Holy One. They trembled, are you come to torment us before the time? Remember that? They believe but they can't believe savingly. What they have is not saving faith, but they believe. Oh, they know that the Holy One is real. Beloved, if we have true and genuine saving faith, beloved, we ought to know that. We don't have the faith of devils. We have the faith of the Lord of glory. Listen, many whom you will meet in the world will say that they have faith in Christ. And that's good. You ought to say that you have faith in Christ in the world. If you do, you should say so. You should verbalize your faith. You should tell others, yes, I am a Christian. You should be willing to say that. But listen, where true faith is, there will also be good fruit. There will also be accompanying works in them that have it. There will be outward evidence or outward evidences, if I could say that, in those who have it. We just quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Must not forget verse 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. If I was saved by works, I could boast. I could boast more than someone who's lost. I could say, I did works, I'm saved, he didn't. 
saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. But, Ephesians 2.10 says, after we're saved, now we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, new creature. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Unto good works, which God hath before ordained for you that you should walk in them. And so we should, there should be fruit that comes forth from our lives. So James is teaching us that true faith will be, it's not going to be dead. It's going to be alive and it's going to be active, not dead and lifeless. Dead and lifeless faith, James says it's good for nothing. You remember the barren fig tree? You remember when they were walking and Jesus and his apostles and they came to that barren fig tree? Do you remember that? And the Bible says Jesus came if happily he might find fruit on that tree. The tree was beautifully adorned with leaves and Jesus found no fruit. Now that was a sign for the apostles to see that that's what the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes were in Jesus' day. They were beautiful, beautifully adorned with religious garb. They could say a lot of things, but like the fig tree, there was no fruit in their lives. And Jesus said, now henceforth, no fruit shall come from you. And he cursed that fig tree. That's a picture of what Israel was in the days of the Messiah, brethren. You may tell me about your faith. And you might say that you have faith. But James says you must show me your faith by your works. Show me your faith. Turn to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 Israel in this time was now in captivity. There were still a remnant that were still left in Israel at the time. Ezekiel prophesied to them. Ezekiel 33 and verse 30. Notice what the prophet writes here of the people. He says, also thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. It tells what was really in their hearts, but it was a complete opposite of what came out of their mouths. See, in secret, they spoke against the prophet by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what, the, what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. They talk a good game. Verse 31 says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art, Ezekiel, you are unto them as a very lovely song of one that has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. They loved how he preached, but they didn't love what he preached. They loved his delivery. He's just a good preacher. What did he preach on? I don't know, but it was so dramatic, I loved it. What did he preach on? I don't know. It was all about the presentation. You're like a lovely song. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, and lo, it will come, then shall they know. When their judgment comes to pass, then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. They'll know when they're finally judged that God was speaking to them through my prophet. Matthew 23. Matthew 23 and verse 1. 
Matthew 23 and verse 1. We're talking about verbal religion. Religion of the lips. Lip service. People who say they're religious. But there's nothing that corresponds in their life. There's no evidences in their lives that they actually believe what they say because they do nothing. The scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, 1, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples. He said, the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Man, that's convicting. How much do I say? Specifically convicting for one that stands behind this pulpit. Father, may it never be that I don't do what I say. May it never be. May all of us who stand here take heed to that, that we be not like the scribes and Pharisees that say and do not, who bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on other men's shoulders, but we won't move one of them with our little fingers. Oh, may it never be for us. Be careful what you say. Titus 1 and verse 16, the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 16 right before the wonderful book of Philemon. Titus 1 and 16. This is a very piercing verse. It says in verse 16, Paul tells Titus about those that profess. Notice in verse 16, they profess, they say that they know God. There is an assent that they know God. They acknowledge God, but in works they deny Him. In their works, they disavow that they know God. Being abominable and disobedient and done to every good work reprobate. In other words, they have not the capability to do good works from their hearts because their, their profession is false. They're like the fig tree with no figs. There's no fruit from their lives. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. I love John. John, if we would have known him personally, he told it like it was. John did not mince words. Verse 5 of chapter 1. John says, This then is the message which we have heard of, heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now listen to how many times he talks about what we say. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, John says, you're lying and you do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from sin. Verse 8, if we say, there it is again, that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John doesn't mince words. I love John. Verse 3 of the next chapter. Hereby do we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, there's the fruit and evidence of real faith. He that saith, there it is again, he that saith, I know him. And you ought to say that if you know God. Do you know Christ? Yes, I do. John says, he that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word. In him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. How? Because we keep his word. Verse 6. He that saith 
he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. There's a lot of saying here. John wants to know what you're doing. Verse 9, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness until now. I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I hate that guy. No, you're a liar. You're lying. You're not a Christian. Beloved, we need to think about what we say. And more than that, if we say we have faith in Christ, there ought to be very good evidence of that in our lives. But back to the very simple example in James. Go back to James 2.15. James leaves us a very simple example to teach us about our faith in Christ he says there in verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of food, and basically you tell them, just, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And we give them a useless verbal response. It's dead faith. It's lip service. It's like we're saying, that's just really terrible. This brother's got no food. He's got no clothing. He's got nothing. And James says, and you say, I'm so sorry. Someone should do something about this. I hope you get better. I hope things get better for you soon. I will surely pray for you. God bless you, brother. I'll see you later. Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled. Do we ever pass someone who is in great need like that? This is the response of one who professes, who says that he knows God, but in works he denies God. Deuteronomy. One verse in Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 15 and verse 7. Deuteronomy 15 and verse 7. Listen, God's going to confront you as a Christian with people in your lives that are needy. He's going to confront us as a church with people that are needy. Beloved, let us not try and comfort them with no action. Beloved, our faith should help us to do what we can. In fact, verse 7, he says, If there be among you a poor man and one of thy brethren within any of thy gates and thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thy hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him. Thou shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in what he wants or what he lacks. And then just one other, First John, you know this one. It's a very uh, close it's very akin to what James writes 1 John chapter 3 1 John chapter 3 and verse let's see where am I at 1 John that's James no wonder it didn't look right 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 hereby perceive we the love of God. Hereby we know the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What was Jesus' death? It was sacrificial. And so we should sacrifice of ourselves and really of our stuff for our brethren. Then he says, But whoso hath this world's good, and you see your brother have need, and let these words sink in. We see someone with a need and we shut up our bowels of compassion from him. John says, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, this goes right along with James, let us not love in word, neither in tongue. That's like saying, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. I love you so much, I hope things get better for you. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Listen, you may not be able to do much, but what can you do? 
Look, let me just say right here, I have personally seen in this body, this church, I have seen such compassion and pity and kindness for those that are in need. And as I was studying this passage, I said, Lord, I, I believe you've blessed our church and the people of God here that don't wave off people with needs. You've helped us, Father, to have the love of Christ. Albeit not perfect, but I've seen the kindness and the love that you have exercised toward those that are in need when you thought no one was looking. I've seen it. It blesses my soul and it's glorifying to God. Sometimes you come to passages like this and you think, well, I don't really want to preach that as if the church is not doing it. But beloved, this is the text where God has us and we always need to be reminded of these things. But remember this, your works that come forth from your faith in Christ glorify God. Your works that come forth from your faith in Christ works done by faith in Christ, in an obedience to Christ, glorify God. Now, turn to Acts 9.36, and this is mainly for the ladies, because you might be thinking, but what can I do? And sometimes this might be specific to the ladies. You might think, what can I do? Look at what Tabitha did. In verse 36, now there was a, at Joppa, a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas, this woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She used to sew together coats for the other ladies, and she blessed them. That was her ministry, and she died, and all of them brought them to Peter and said, look at what she used to do for us. She was such a good testimony. Acts 16 of Lydia you remember Lydia, you don't even have to turn there. The Bible says, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things that were preached by Paul. God saved her. And right after God saved her, she says, if you have counted me worthy, please come to my house and let me take care of you. Let me feed you. Let me give you a meal. And so her faith brought forth her works. 1 Timothy 2.9 1 Timothy 2.9 And we'll wind down here. 1 Timothy 2.9. Of course, this is for the ladies again. And this, this should be what is the feature for your life. Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy about the women in like manner that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair. Now, this is a Hebrew idiom. It doesn't mean you can't broid your hair. It doesn't mean you can't wear pearls and jewelry. But he's saying that you not only adorn yourself like this, which is a Hebrew idiom, but in verse 10 he says it means, but also as women be adorned with godliness. Be adorned as women professing godliness with good work. Nothing wrong with adorning yourself, but let that not be the main feature of your life is your outward adorning. Let it be what you're adorned within. Let it be your good works that you do for Christ. Listen, beloved of God, your good works testify and witness of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory in you. Colossians. Colossians. Just a few passages here just to show this. And this is just a smidgen of the verses that we could go to, but I'm just going to read a few. Colossians 1 and verse 10, Paul writes to the church of Colossae. He says in verse 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. Think of how you would walk worthy of the Lord. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian, you want to have a good testimony. You want to walk worthy of the Lord Unto all pleasing. You want to please God. How do we please God? Hebrews 11. Without faith it's impossible to please God. And so walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. 
First Thessalonians, next book over, chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul says of the church there, I remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. Their faith worked, their love labored, and their hope patiently endured. Then to Titus. There are a bunch of others. I'm just going to read a couple more. Titus 2.7. The book of Titus. Chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6.17. I'm going to read that one and then go to Titus. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. That's riches of uncertainty. That's your cash. But in the living God, which richly, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. If you're rich, you should be generous with your riches, with what God has given you. Then on to Titus 2.7. Paul writes to Titus that the young men should in all things show thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. And of course, after that, sound speech. And then verse 8 of chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Again, your works are designed by God and ordained by God to be in you to testify and witness of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Read Matthew 25 when you go home. Remember what Jesus said at the judgment of the great day. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was naked. I was in prison. I was sick. And you helped me. Beloved, that's who we are to be. Finally, James closes. James chapter 2 and verse 10. Well, James doesn't close. We will close here. James gives one final plea. But wilt thou know, O vain man, O faithless man, that faith without works is dead. You can say a lot of things about yourself. Jesus said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Beloved, let us consider our own lives. To the lost this morning, never, never, never think to yourself that you may be saved from your sins by good works. That's not what James is saying in the text. What he is revealing to us is a dead faith, which is not saving faith, that produces no good works. Listen, before a tree can bring forth good fruit, Jesus said, you need to make the tree good. And then it will bring forth good fruit. Titus 3.5, I'll close there. Titus 3.5. Just to compel any of you that are outside of Christ Titus Paul writes here to Titus not by works of righteousness which we have done will you be saved but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior 
that being justified by His grace alone, I know alone's not there, but it's implied, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you're lost today, you can do every work that you would do in the book, then you'll not be saved because of your works. You cannot be saved by works. We're saved by grace alone in Christ, by faith alone in Christ. He alone can save sinners from their sins. If you've not believed Christ, turn from your sins today. But to the Christian, if you have true and genuine saving faith, there will be good fruit. There will be works of righteousness. There will be pity. There will be bowels of compassion that come forth from you as our example is to the needy. That's the specific example to the needy. There are many needy people out there. I know you can't help them all. I know you can't do all of what perhaps what they might be asking you. But what can you do? You remember the woman with the alabaster box? Jesus said, she hath done what she could. And that's what we must be, Christians. We need to do what we can for Christ. And God will bless us in that. Next time, Abraham and Rahab, and we'll finish out this chapter. Amen. Let's just dismiss in prayer. Father, thank you, oh God, for this wonderful book. Thank you, Father, for teaching me. I pray that you would teach me more. Father, preaching this, I realize how much I still have need. I have need of learning of thee, of learning Christ. Father, help us as a church. I thank you for how you've blessed us as a church. But I don't want to take that glory to ourselves. We don't deserve it, Father. If there's anything good in us, if we've been merciful, it has come forth from you. You deserve the praise. You deserve the honor for it. And so, Father, please accept our thanks. But, Father, help us to get better. Father, help us to show more grace. Help us to show more pity and kindness. Help us to give of ourselves. Help us to love as you loved. I still remember our Lord Jesus when he went aside to rest and the people came to him. He didn't chase them off. He received them. Oh God, let us have that spirit, the spirit of Christ in us. Forgive us, Father, for failing. Forgive me for failing so often in this. And we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.